Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast from Live Youth. We hope you enjoy this week's message. If you want to know more about youth, please check out our social media at This Is Live Youth or our website at life-church.com.au. Thank you for your warm welcome, and uh, I will endeavour to convert you all to the power at some point in time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's a blessing to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Any time you get to come and just preach and share God's word with people who are hungry is a great thing. Amen. Amen. And uh, there's something really special when you gather young adults and uh, and youth and young people who want to give a Friday night to worship. Now, I go to a lot of youth groups and a lot of times there's a lot of fun games that happen, but there's not a whole lot of worship. But when we worship, we see transformation and we see change. And um, yeah, I'm excited about what God is doing in this place, in this church, and um, hearing some of those amazing stories as well. So let's pray, and then we're going to get stuck into the Word. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to just come into your presence and sit with you. And we pray that you would speak boldly tonight through me. Lord, no one wants to come and hear a word from David Shepherd, but we want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to hear from you. So I just pray that you would use this vessel, this jar of clay, it's yours. Would you speak? Would you take my tongue and would you speak? Lord, I do not want to come with wise or persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. Lord, you speak, you move, and I know that you are going to touch hearts. So right now, I pray wherever we are at, every single person in this room, that you would open their eyes to see, that you'd open their eyes to hear, their ears to hear, and open their hearts to receive right now in the name of Jesus. We're listening, we're yours, speak, and all God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Does anyone here go to the barber? Anyone go to the barber to get their hair cut? I can't see at the back very well. Not many of you. There's something very exciting about going to the barber. I've started going to the barber. Things are going a bit greyer than they used to be, but that's okay. I don't know about you, but for those of you who go to the barber, there's something very manly about the barber, isn't there? Like you walk into the barber shop, it's a bit different from going to a hairdresser. Like just think for a second, if you meet someone on the street, meet a bloke on the street and you say, what do you do for a living? He goes, I'm a hairdresser. It conjures a very different image to someone who said, what do you do for a living? And they said, well, I'm a barber. You know what I mean? Like one's beards and baristas and the other one's beauty. Um, but there's something that, I, something that I find fascinating about the barbershop. Um, and it really struck me the other day is, I, is when you go in there, unlike the hairdresser where there's this deep connection, like my wife got this hairdresser, they're really good friends. They go out and they do coffee together and they'll do drinks together and they'll, you know, she'll book her time. She knows exactly who she's getting. She knows when she's going. They've locked it in their diary. She knows how she likes her haircut. Like it's all, it's all agreed upon. There's no risk. It's just beautiful. When you go to the barber, there's this extreme level of risk because you walk into that room. There's like seven different barbers there. You have no idea who you're going to get. You write your name on the whiteboard. You sit there and you think, all right, it's adventure time. What's about to happen? Who am I going to get? And so I go to the barber and there's this one lady that I like, middle-aged blonde lady I call Amanda. For some reason, I can never remember her name because I don't get to have her very often. But she cuts my hair good. I'm like, this is the one I want. So every time I go in there, I'm like, Lord, let it be Amanda. 
let it be Amanda. I'm praying for Amanda. I'm believing that Amanda's going to get there so we can, you know, do what we need to do. And I went there a couple of weeks ago, and as I was sitting there, I was praying for Amanda. This other blonde woman came out, and she goes, hello, sir, would you like to come and sit in the chair and have your hair cut? And in that moment, I was, you know, I was polite. I was like, oh, fantastic, thank you. But inside, I'm going, no! I don't want you. I don't know you. I don't trust you. I'm not sure what's going to happen with you. Anyway, so I sit down with this lady, and uh, we start the whole process of the first time you've met someone. She goes, how would you like your hair cut? And I'm already annoyed because I'm like, well, if it was just Amanda, she'd already know. You shouldn't have to ask that question. So I explain how I'd like my hair cut. And then comes the next logical question. And when you're a pastor, this is the best question because what do they ask? What do you do? Right? What do you do? And the funniest thing, so she goes, what do you do? And in my mind, I'm like, ha ha, here we go. And so I was like, I'm a pastor, and I kid you not, it's like she's, she's got the clippers on the back of my head. She's mid-shave like this, and she just goes like this. If you can see me like So she's shaving. I said, I'm a pastor. She just goes. <laughs> Fair income for 15 seconds. She didn't move. She didn't say anything. She just stared at me in the mirror, and then after 15 seconds of staring in this position, she went like this. Still didn't say that. She just goes, it was like she was completely lost for words. And then she goes, so how do you spell that? (laughs) And I was like, that's an interesting question. And then she goes, P-A-S-T-A? She fed income did. And I'm like, you think I make spaghetti for a living? That's what you fanny can think I do. I was like, no, 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 P-A-S-T-O-R. I'm like, I, I, I lead a church and I talk about Jesus and stuff. She goes, oh, so like a priest. I'm like, well, kind of. So we just start this conversation and she's just shocked. And it ended up being the longest haircut I've ever had in my life, right? We ended up being there for almost 50 minutes for a job that normally takes 10. And she just kept cutting the same bit of hair over and over again because we just got into the most amazing, robust, deep conversation. And she's like, why would you do that? Like, what is going on in your world that you would choose to do that for a living? She was just got, she goes, I'm not religious, uh, but like, what's going on with that? And so I talked about, we talked about God and I talked about, you know, creation and how I look at the world and I can't deny the hand of a creator. She's like, I'm a deep thinker. She, she's like, you know, I believe that, that there was probably, uh, you know, the chances of there being an alien race who uh, put us as an experiment on earth because think about it, like in the infinite universe, there has to be a higher, uh, a higher intelligence that probably just made us as an experiment. So we're talking about that and then I'm going back and forth being like, well, actually, if you think about the, the, you know, the breadth of the universe and the very chance that there could be a planet that just happens to be exactly the same distance from a sun with the, just the right amount of planets around it that it's spinning around in orbit at just the right gravitational pull to keep us at just the right distance from the sun to maintain life, actually, that, statistically speaking, is completely impossible. I'm like, so therefore, I believe in a God. So we went on this massive conversation and it was fantastic. And in the end, after 50 minutes, her boss was getting annoyed. So the conversation had to end. I went in my car and I sat in my car and I was instantly convicted. And I realised that in that moment, in everything we talked about, aliens, extra, like God, creation, 
not once did I talk about why Jesus. And I was like, you idiot. What have you done? I just was sitting under this conviction. I was like, what? Why did I miss that chance? A chance to just, this question why, like that's the first most obvious magnificent answer is Jesus. Because of Jesus. And as I was sitting in my car and as I was thinking about it, I'm like thinking, oh, God, what have I done? This fascinating, it was like this, this word of God just settled on my heart and this is what he said. He said, it's not just for the lost. And I was like, what? He said, it's not just for the lost. This is a word for the church. The church needs to know the why. The church needs to know the why. And this is what I felt God said. He said to me, revival, the world will see revival come when the church is awakened to the why. The world will see revival come when the church is awakened to the why. Because here's what's going on in the church at the moment. We have a sleeping giant in the West. We have a sleeping church. We have a bunch of people who come to church. They know their religion. They've grown up in Sunday school. They've heard the stories. I was a church kid growing up. But without the revelation, all we have is religion. But the moment we have a revelation of the why Jesus, the moment that that saying of, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, the moment that we have a revelation of the why behind the what, all of a sudden we see this relationship, we see this thing birthed within us that causes us to just fall on our knees and say, God, here I am. And we have a church in the West that is doing the religious duty. It's going about life, but there is no delight. There is no passion. There is no hunger. There is no fire in its belly. The reason we're not sharing the gospel with friends is because we have no revelation of the why. Every Wednesday afternoon, my mum comes and picks up my kids from school and she brings them a tub of chocolate. When I say a tub, I mean more chocolate than a nine, seven and six-year-old should eat in a month every Wednesday. And do you know what they do every Wednesday? The moment my mum gives them that tub of chocolate, they run off and they just tell as many friends as they possibly can about this great gift that they've been given. Look at what I've got. Look at this. Oh, my gosh, it's a Freddo. Why are they so passionate about sharing the chocolate? Because they have tasted and seen that the chocolate is good. Why is the church not going out with that same ferocity of faith? Why when we walk into our schools and our universities and our workplaces and someone says, what's going on in your life? What would you do on the weekend? We're not saying, oh, my God, I had an amazing encounter with God. Because where's the revelation of the why? Because it hasn't gone from here to here. And God has just laid this on my heart and he's just said, David, I want you to just start preaching the simple gospel. Just start preaching the why Jesus. And my prayer for us is that we would see and perceive, that we would hear and understand that the seed of truth that has been planted would drop into good soil and it would take root and it would bear fruit. And friend, I don't know about you, but my passion and my heart is to see revival in this land. 
You know, we started uh, a ministry called Ignite Ministries about five years ago, around the same time that we planted a church, just with a simple heart to lift up the name of Jesus and see revival hit our land. Just see revival hit this land. That the church would be awakened. And I believe so strongly we're awakened when we encounter and experience the why. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to explain the gospel. But sometimes I think when we get in the church world and we start reading scripture and we start hearing the gospel, what it does is it just goes in one ear and out the other because we've heard it a thousand times. So today I want to show you. Well, I said today, I mean tonight. I want to show you the gospel. And I just am praying that as you see it, something drops. And God's going to reveal something. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. And as I read this, some of you are going to hear some words. and You're going to be like, what the heck was that? That was a different language. And some of you are going to go, yep, I know those words. But as we talk, it's going to make some sense. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, it says this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, everyone say tabernacle, that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts leading to death so that we may serve the living God? If I had a title for this message tonight, you can turn to your neighbor and announce it. It is Tabawat. Tabawat. Because there's a lot of words in there and we're going to talk about them. So here's what I want. Can I have someone bring that table forward? Potentially. And I reckon we'll put it up here so that people can see clearly. Watch the step. Please don't drop it. You can just put it, yeah. There we go. Fantastic. So friends, let's have a look at this. What is under here? This, friends, is the gospel. Can everyone see this? You guys at the back? Yeah, you're going to have to interact with me, friends. I'm an interactive preacher. How are we going at the back? Fantastic. So here's the gospel. In the beginning was God. This is God. And God was pure and God is perfect. And the biblical word for this is holy and righteous. There is not a blemish in him. There is not a spot in him. He is almighty. He is magnificent. He is everything. He is the creator of all things. He is God. God. Just process that for a moment. There is none before him. There is none like him. He breathes and creation, the universe, everything comes into being. This is God. And the Bible tells us that God, eternal, triune, three in one. Get your head around that for a second. You ever tried to think about that? 
three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. God. God created. He created. And he went through this process. And on the sixth day, he created us. This is us. And here's the amazing thing about what God's done here. Because it says, the Bible says that he created us in his image. So this means God is pure, holy, righteous. He is perfect in every single way. And he created us in his image. So we are like God, but we're not God. There's something in us. There's a seed in us that is interconnected and beautifully in perfect loving relationship with God and God who is three in one actually makes humanity he makes us with this seed that we would know that we would be drawn to him he makes us two three in one body mind and spirit we actually have this three in one nature as a part of us And it's supposed to point us to the fact that we're made in the image of a triune relational God. Three in one. And so here we are and and it's glorious, right? Like we are, we're perfect. We are actually, we too are holy. We're righteous. There is nothing separating us from God. It's this beautiful, dynamic, wonderful relationship. The Bible talks about the fact that we had intimacy and we walked with him in the garden of this place called Eden. And Eden is this, is this place that is paradise. Eden literally means, translated means paradise. This is what we were created for. God created us to dwell with him. And as we dwelt with him, we were in paradise. This is paradise, us with God. Paradise is not a garden. Paradise is not a palm tree with bananas and coconuts and nice warm beaches and lovely scents. No, paradise is relationship with God. That's paradise. That's Eden. And this, friends, is the creation ideal. This is why God created that we would be known by God and know Him, have relationship with Him. This is why God created, but He also created us with choice because God is love. He gave us choice and in order uh, for us to be able to live in his love, he had to give us choice. And so what he said is, guys, I'm giving you everything, everything. I'm giving you just perfection. But there's this one thing I don't want you to touch. Because the reason I'm putting it there is that you would know that, yes, you're made in my image, you're like me, but you're not me. You're subservient to me and you must always bow the knee to me because I am God and you are not. And if we live in this, you must obey me. If you live in that space, you will live in this beautiful, rich paradise, perfection. But there was this thing. This fruit was still there, wasn't it? This temptation, and it's not about the fruit. We give the fruit a bad rap. It's actually about this desire to be more than what we are. It's this desire. We looked at God and went, well, I want to be that. It's pride, the love of self. And so we had this, this temptation to love self more than we loved God. And it gave birth to something 
it gave birth to something. As we took that fruit, it gave birth to something we call sin. This is sin. And the really interesting thing about sin is it has a habit of staining us. You see, the thing about us is that we are created in the image of God, but we've got flesh, right? And when the Bible says that he formed us out of the dust of the ground, it says he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And you know, the ancient Jewish people, the way that they saw this was that as the spirit of God came, the Ruach of God came and was breathed into the nostrils of humanity, what happened was that breath uh, became life and that life actually flowed through the veins of humanity. So the ancients actually had this profoundly deep understanding that blood and life were interconnected, that the life of God literally flowed in the blood of humanity. And so for as long as blood was through our veins, we had life. And the moment the blood stopped flowing, we had death. Uh, But it spoke to something really profound, you see, because when God said to us, he said, hey, if you eat of this fruit, what did he say? You'll surely die. And what he, he wasn't talking about that in a moment you'll cark it and you'll fall over and that'll be it. No, he was speaking of this paradise. He was saying that the life of God, which flowed in the veins of humanity, would be cursed. And in the place of the life of God flowing through the veins of humanity for all of eternity, giving us perfect eternal relationship with God, what would be replaced if we sinned would be death. would fill our veins. Because sin has a way of staining us. It stains the soul. You can't get it out. Once we have sinned, what was perfect is now imperfect. That cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. And so where life once flowed in our veins, now death flowed in our veins. And the problem with that is that because God is pure and holy and righteous and perfect, Now we are tainted and stained. We could no longer have union with God. The reason being because that which is perfect cannot dwell with that which is imperfect. Why? Because that which is perfect, if it it is uh, taken on by that which is imperfect, it will become this. Let me put it this way. You have a drink of water. You have a cup of cyanide. What happens if a drop of cyanide enters the cup of water? What happens to the water? It's poisoned. So it can't dwell together. But the thing is, God is God. He's perfect. God can't be tainted. It's the very definition of who God is. He can't be tainted. So something else happens. If we try, if we try to get into relationship with God, something really fascinating would happen. It wouldn't stick. We can't taint God. So instead, God consumes death. God would consume us. If we entered into relationship because of our brokenness, because of the sin in our life, the purity of God would consume us and we would just be ceasing to exist. It's broken. It can't be connected anymore. Something has to be done about this sin issue, the death issue which lives in our veins. Because we now cannot have union with God because God is perfect. And we are not. We're tainted by 
sin. And so when you read the scripture, you think at this point, oh no, we're stuffed. Like God has, God's God, he's perfect. He's in beautiful, perfect union with himself. He could easily have been like, well, you stuffed that up, didn't you guys? Bad luck, I'm out of here, good luck. He could have done that. But that's not our God. Our God is a God who pursues us. Our God is a God who chases us. And it's not just like you read the Old Testament right at the beginning. God is pursuing humanity. God chooses a bloke called Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I'm going to come and a day will come when I'll restore this relationship through sacrifice and suffering. And he just all through the Old Testament is pursuing his people. And he puts in place a law, a religious system to remind us, to show us that, that, that we would be made right with him through sacrifice because Blood equals life. Because of the symbolism of blood and life, life of God in blood, blood had to be shed, death had to die that we might live. And so we live in this state of sin. And so what we find is that for many, many years is religion. And good works. And so we take these things and we think, well, I'm a good person. You ever said that? I have. I used to say it all the time. I do the right stuff. Like, I'm a good person. I look after the old people. I haven't done anything that wrong. You know, I, don't, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't hurt anyone, really. Like, I've, I've been nice to people. I help my next-door neighbour who's old, and I cut her hedges, and I do stuff like that. You know, I'm a good person. And so we have these good works, and we think that because we're a good person, it can fix us. We think that it can deal with the issue of sin, but the problem is it can't. It won't change anything because sin has stained us. This, good works, religion, doing the right thing, cannot fix the issue because only a righteous, holy, pure life, only the blood of life can atone the blood that is cursed with death. God is the only one who can fix it. And friends, this is why Christianity is so amazing. This is why Jesus, because every other religion, every other system, every other worldview, whether it's Islam, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's atheism, I don't care, whatever ism you want to put in there, all of it is about us striving, doing everything we can to attain to this, but it will never work because he is perfect and we are not. And so the only solution is for God to come to us. The only solution is for God to bleed. And so what happens is at just the right time in history, the Bible says in the book of Colossians, that Christ came, the fullness of God poured into the person of Christ. The fullness of God found in Christ, fully man, fully God. This is Jesus. He is God, but He is one of us, like us. He bleeds. He is body 
mind and spirit, and yet he is fully God, found, born of a virgin Mary. He is God. And so God comes in the person of Christ. And what does he do? He pours out his blood for us. And as he sheds his blood for us and he invites us to come in, he's able to do something that no good work, no religious effort, nothing could ever do. He changes us from the inside. Oh, come on, somebody. He transforms us from the inside out where religion seeks to cover us, where we put the mask on and we say, hey, look how good I am. But still we are broken and we are ruined. Christ comes and he changes our condition. He changes our condition once and for all. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we see in Christ, when we, have, when we invite Christ in, we are transformed. The old is gone, the new has come. We've been changed forevermore so that we can have eternal relationship with God. So that we can tabernacle. Because tabernacle means presence so that we can be in paradise again. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus, because without Jesus, we are condemned to death. That's the truth of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how nice you are. There's sin in your blood. There's death in your veins. But when Christ comes and we receive his life, our death is done once for all. So that the creation ideal of Eden can be restored. So that we can be hid with Christ on high. We're hid with Christ on high. And I want to show you one more thing because this is the most amazing thing. You see, when Jesus poured out his blood, when Jesus suffered death that we might find life, and death was sitting here. Sin and death is going, oh, we've got him. We've got him. We've got him. He's dead. Guess what? Three days and still it can't consume him. Three days and still it can't hold him down. And after the third day, he's like, nice try, sin and death. You're done. So here's what I'm doing. I'm stomping out of this grave. The stone's being rolled away. And to life and life forevermore, he comes. And he reigns on high. And sin and death is officially defeated because Jesus took sin and death to the grave with him. And sin is like, yes, we've got you. We've taken him to the grave. And then it realised after three days, oh, crap. He took us to the grave. Jesus took sin and death to the grave. Sin and death didn't take Jesus to the grave. And when he took it there, he's like, I'll let you have me for three days just so we can, you know, do whatever we want to do. And then he stomps on it and he rises to life. And now we in Christ with God forevermore. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus, friends, that's why Jesus and I pray today that as you see this and as you realise what he has done, that you have been taken from death 
to life in him. Friends, it's the greatest thing in the world. Nothing compares. Taste and see what the Lord has done. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This will change you forever. And we just sung a song from the inside out that is exactly what Christ has done for those who would receive him. And so there is only one thing left to do. It is to respond to the question, well, what will you do with what he's given? Because he's saying, here I am. I've paid it all. I've paid it all. Will you just keep on striving in your mess? Will you keep on running in your brokenness? Will you keep chasing after this stuff or will you receive me as Lord and Saviour? Will you take my life upon you and live in the fullness of that promise? What will you do with that? I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to have a moment where we're going to respond to this. Because I feel like there's some people here who maybe you've grown up in church, but you've actually never had that moment in your life where you've said, do you know what? Yes. I need Jesus. I want Jesus. I want this life to flow through my veins. This is the revelation that changes everything. This is what took a man who was a, owning a slave ship and he wrote a song and he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see what he's done? Do you look upon Jesus And do you see just a religious dude who your mum and dad take you to church to talk about? Or do you see the son of God who gave everything that you might have life and life to the full? Where are you at? Because you will not attain to relationship with God apart from Christ. You can try everything. You can None of it's going to change your condition. Only Christ. Only Christ can fix what's broken. And so I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And right here in this room, if that's you, if you're in this place where you're like, I I need Jesus. I want to give my life to him. And you've never actually sat there and said, you know what? Yeah, I want to make that call. I'm going to invite you right now just to pop your hand in the air. Just put that hand up and say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want him as Lord of my life. All right, we're going to pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we just commit every life in this place, every person in this place, who would look upon the cross of Jesus Christ and would say, yes, Lord, I need you. I want you. Father, we just surrender them to you right now. Father, do a work in their hearts. Father God, may this message take root. May the gospel take root. 
in all its glory, in all its magnificence, in all its grandeur. May we see you, Jesus, for who you are, high and exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Lamb who was slain that we might know life and life to the full. Thank you, Jesus. I just have on my heart another thing which I really, really felt leading into this that I want to pray for people on, where if you've been someone who maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you're one of those people who you're like, where's the fire in my soul? Where's the passion? Where's that first love? Where's that lamp that once burnt so brightly and what's happened to it? Now I care more about the soccer than the cross. Now I care more about whatever that person on Instagram's doing than the cross. When someone asks me about my faith, there's a trepidation as opposed to an excitement. Where's that fire gone? Where's that passion gone? And friends, I just want to say it only comes through the revelation brought by the Holy Spirit. And so I just felt to pray tonight for people who just need that fresh touch of the Spirit, that the revelation of Christ, that the revelation of the love of God might just flow as like it never has before, that there would be a fire. John Wesley once said, catch fire and people will come to watch you burn. I just pray that that will be for you. You know, there's this prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And he said this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I want to pray that over some people today. I want to pray that people would have power together with all the saints to know that love, to have a fresh revelation of what God has done in Christ, that you would be so filled with the Spirit of God that your life would look different from now on, that you would no longer be the religious person, but you would be the person with fresh revelation and fresh fire walking in relationship with a holy God because of what Christ has done and you'll be walking with a fire in your gut that cannot be put out. That no word, no culture, no virus, no nothing would snuff out, but rather you would have an integrity about you, that you would walk into a party, that you would walk into any room in your school and you would be, this is what has consumed me. That you would be consumed by Christ. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Stay up to date with all our upcoming events on our social media or our website. See you guys soon.